0: Good morning, First Baptist. By the way, I'm late in thanking all of you for those generous gifts um, over Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you so much. I know I'm speaking for all the staff. I continue to be overwhelmed by your generosity. If it's your first time here this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. You picked a cold morning to be here, but we hope you've received a warm welcome. And I realize that some of you may be stranded here this morning. And you've been with family for a few days. And listen, if it's getting a little old, there's some cameras in the back. Just turn and blink twice. We'll get you to a safe house, okay? A family time with family's just gone a little too long. We're glad you're here. <clears throat> I've always been fascinated by stories about Marco Polo. Now, if you don't know who that is, he was an explorer in the late 1200s. And he he found this road between Europe and China. They called it the Silk Road they used for for uh, trading. Uh, He would get silk and he'd bring it back to Italy and and Europe. And he told some of the most amazing stories that he documented in a, a book that he wrote called The Travels of Marco Polo. And there was one that always stuck out in my mind in particular. It was about crossing the desert of Lop. It was something he had to do every time he would traverse back and forth from Europe to China. And this is a picture of that desert. And it's in the northeast, I'm sorry, the the northwest corner of China. It's about the size of Germany. And it took one month to get across this desert. Before they would cross it, they would stop for one week in the town of Lop. It's called Lop Noor now. It's still there. They would stop there and get a month's worth of provisions. But it's what he wrote in his book about crossing that desert that is so mysterious and strange. I wanted to share it with you. He said this regarding that desert. He said, "Beasts there are none, for there is nothing for them to eat. But there is a marvelous thing related of this desert." Which is that when, when travelers are on the move by night, and one of them chances to lag behind or to fall asleep or the like, when he tries to gain his company again, he will hear spirits talking, and will suppose them to be his comrades. <clears throat> Sometimes the spirits will call him by name, and thus shall a traveler oftentimes be led astray so that he never finds his party. And in this way, many have perished. Sometimes the stray travelers will hear, as it were, the trump and hum of a great cavalcade of people away from the real line of road. And taking this to be their own company, they will follow the sound. And when day breaks, they find that a cheat has been put upon them and they are in ill plight. Even in the daytime, one hears those spirits talking and sometimes you shall hear sound of a variety of musical instruments, and still more commonly the sound of drums. Hence, in making this journey, it is customary for travelers to keep close together. All the animals, too, have bells at their necks, so they cannot easily get astray. and at sleeping time, a signal is put up to show the direction of the next day's march. So thus, the desert is crossed. Now, I'm going to say at the outset, I don't know what these voices were. I don't know if they were evil spirits. I don't know if they were hallucinations. But one thing can be stated for sure, that these voices that were being heard were trying to steer people away from life towards death. And as those travelers became lost in the desert, you're talking about an area about the size of Germany. And they wouldn't find their way back to this road. Now, some things never change. Because right now, there's voices that are trying to lead you away from life towards death. Voices that are trying to lead you away from Christ himself into some other kind of a life or lifestyle. They're telling you there are more important things that you could be doing instead of being at church on a Sunday morning. That is frankly not that relevant to life. There's voices telling you that there's more important places to be than a, than a youth group on Wednesday nights. Or taking your children to church. There's voices telling you that there's better places to be. There's more fun things to do than grow in your faith. Or tell someone else about the hope you have in Christ. Now some of you may be here this morning and you're not really sure frankly if you buy into all this Christianity stuff anyways. And there's voices leading you away. And some of you, though, are here, and you're starting to believe, you know what, I think there is a light down this road and this path called Christianity. You see, there's a danger, no matter where you may be, there's a danger for those of us that are on this Christian path. There's a danger that we might find ourselves drifting away from the caravan. Looking off the path to find something that may look more appealing. But those things don't lead to life. Those things lead to death. So the question we're going to tackle this morning is, how do I keep from drifting from Christ? How do I keep from drifting? Because we have this tendency to drift. And that was the problem with the people in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2 this morning. We'll be in Hebrews Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation it was declared at first by the lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while god also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will you may be seated we're continuing this series in the book of hebrews and we're talking about this this phrase that is is evident as you go through the book of Hebrews, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Persevere in the faith. It seems that the writer of Hebrews, we're not quite sure who that was, was speaking to a group that had become laxed. Many of them were converted Jews, and they were actually starting to wonder, were we more right in practicing that Judaism that we started out with? And this morning, we're going to continue through this, this next part of Hebrews. We'll actually break next week. We'll start going into our, uh, our Christmas sermons next week. But we're going to continue this morning. We're going to talk about this subject of drifting. How do we keep from drifting? We'll talk about it in this sense. First of all, we see that we tend to drift. We tend to drift. And then we'll see that we have no excuse for drifting. And then finally, we'll talk about, well, how do I keep from drifting how do i stay on this path that the scriptures talk about and not stray off this path so i want to get into this this first part that we have this tendency to drift and let's take a look at chapter 2 verse 1. it says therefore we must pay closer attention now let's just start with the verse, the very first word therefore because anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible you got to ask the question, what's there for? Therefore, right? Why is it there? And this actually looks back at what we talked about last week. And since nobody remembers what we talked about last week, let me just remind you. Last week we talked about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You see in chapter one, he was supreme to the prophets, he was supreme to the angels, he was supreme to anyone. So the author establishes this supremacy of Jesus. He rules the universe at some point in the future all of his enemies are going to be made a footstool under his feet and because of that because that's true we come to verse one and it says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it so it's because of the supremacy of jesus christ that we now come to verse two and we're called to pay much closer attention. Listen very closely to what we've heard. So, if I were to tell you all that in, in like 30 seconds this giant asteroid was going to come and demolish our church. If I were to tell you that. Now I'm glad nobody's getting up and running. If I were to tell you that, you'd be like, oh, that's funny, Chad. You know, okay, Whatever. But if I were to say to you, look, NASA just called the church and said, if we don't, get all, if we don't all get out of here, we're all going to be smashing. Well, then you'd probably listen. Because NASA is knowledgeable in all things related to space. Christ is master and knowledgeable in everything. Space and all other. And that's why we're listening to the message. That's why we have something we need to hear. Christ has authority in all things as a matter of fact, that phrase, pay closer attention, literally it means pay the closest attention. If you've ever walked into the doctor's office after you've just had a very serious test, you are hanging on every word that doctor is about to tell you. That's how we need to be hanging on every word that Christ spoke. It's that much more important. And why is that? Look at the second half of the verse. It says, less we drift away from it. It comes to this word, this idea of drifting away. There's a Greek word, parariomen. And it was used to describe a ship that was supposed to have turned into a harbor, but it missed its turn. So now it's just kind of going with the tide, the current, beyond where it should, just going along with, with wherever the, the water's taking. That's this drifting away idea. And all of this implies that the Hebrews had grown sloppy. They'd gotten too relaxed in their commitment. They had a careless lack of concern. And I like what this one author, Noel, says about this. The world is ever tugging at the believer, and that's so often unconsciously to him or her, to go along with its false hopes satan likes nothing better than a neglecting christian we all know too that the tendency of our natures is to drift along with earthly things away from the gospel we all have a tendency to do this we have a tendency to turn our attention to a lot of lesser things even while i'm talking to you right now There's something in your pocket that can take you just about anywhere you want to go. You know how intimidating that is? I I remember being a kid sitting up in the balcony at First Baptist Church in Dunbar, West Virginia, thinking, man, I'd sure like to be watching Raiders of the Lost Ark right now. (laughs) And now you can do that. We have this attention drawer in our pockets. There was a, a man I came across when I was getting prepped called uh, Max Dupree, and Max Dupree was a CEO of a, a huge company. He's a 40-year member of the, uh, the board for Fuller Seminary, and he, he talks about what he says is the most dangerous enemy in life, and he calls it entropy. Now, I remember learning about this word entropy whenever I was back in engineering. It's got something to do with with uh, thermodynamics is this idea that the entire universe is deteriorating and wearing down now some of you are in fields where you probably use this term quite a bit and there's a very technical definition for it and as I talk you're going to be wanting to run up here at the end of the service with a burning passion to give me the technical definition I just want to tell you at the outset I don't care okay <laughs> I just I don't care For the purposes of today's sermon, we're going to use this definition. Everything that is left to itself tends to to deteriorate. Everything left to itself tends to deteriorate. And um, this same man, he came up with signs of spiritual entropy in somebody's life. How do we know that we're experiencing this spiritual deterioration, this entropy, this drift? Five things... Um, First of all, if you have a tendency, you're finding yourself having a tendency towards superficiality. In other words, you're more caught up in very shallow things, more so than the deeper things of life, more so than the things that actually provide meaning and substance to life. Uh, Relationships, the Word of God, uh, these are the non-superficial things of life. Second if you have unresolved tension in key relationships (coughs) spouses kids friends if you find this tension that just keeps on going and going and going because you're frankly you're not paying attention to that relationship you're not finding yourself willing to put the time into it so the tension just keeps on going and going third if you're confusing celebrities and heroes if you're confusing celebrities and heroes this means that you're really not drawing a line of separation between those who entertain you and those that can actually provide a life that we want to emulate and i want to mention something here uh, i love the fact i mean i love the fact that kanye west is showing a real interest in things of Christ. I love the fact that he's sharing the gospel. My concern is he's being is that he's being elevated very, very quickly. And honestly, I I kind of feel bad for him because most of us are able to grow in our faith without having a million cameras pointing at us. Um, and I'm I'm concerned that we've elevated him to a point where it could do some damage, maybe to him. Uh, maybe the other believers be careful who you choose to be your heroes of the faith fourth if you have a loss of gratitude if you have a loss of gratitude if you find yourself sort of unwilling to be thankful for what you have i mean we just came out of this season of thanksgiving and we have a lot to be thankful for but if you find yourself and oh man i was watching some videos from black friday it was ugly out there Um, If you've got more of that attitude, I really want and need and deserve this thing as opposed to just being thankful for what you have. It could be a sign of this spiritual entropy that we're talking about. And then finally, if you have this vague sort of nagging chronic sense of guilt, there's a good chance you're neglecting your spiritual life. If it just kind of is the first thing that hits you in the morning and you just sort of drag it around behind you all day and you're not really sure why it's there, you maybe need to take some time with that and ask some hard questions, especially when you really just don't feel like doing anything about it. Now, at some point, I think we all find ourselves in this place. And it can go on. I remember... For period of my life i didn't go to church for a long time and then i remember feeling embarrassed about coming back i get that uh when i was younger i, I kind of questioned well i don't know if i need this whole church thing or not and during those times i was miserable because it's such a vital part of our life but when long periods of time go by without prayer without church attendance all of these things can happen but do we have any excuses do we have any excuses to just kind of drift away in this, this weirdness, this entropy that we're talking about? Well, the answer is no, we don't. But let's talk about why. This brings us to verses two through four of chapter two. The first part of it says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If the angels delivered this message originally, talking about the law, the angels brought the law. That was always the belief of the Jews. It originated with God. It was brought to the angels by the angels to the prophets. The prophets gave it to us, and God punished the Israelites if they neglected the law. What's going to happen if we neglect the gospel, the salvation message? I don't like getting heavenly spankings but they do happen. And there's reasons we should be attentive to the gospel um, every day. And I want to just two reasons why we should remember the gospel daily. First of all, it reminds you of your identity. Who are you? If someone were to ask a question, "Who are you?" how would you answer that question? It tells us who we are. And I remember maybe you've heard of the cyber crime identity theft. You know when somebody steals your identity. They get they get all the good things about you. Like if you've got a clean record, if you've got a good, healthy bank account, somebody can come in, they can steal your identity, and they get all that good stuff about you. But see, the thing about us getting this identity from Christ is we get this identity gift. As a matter of fact, I love the way Elise Patrick Fitzpatrick puts this. The surprising reality, however, is that Christians are, by definition, people who have someone else's identity. They're called Christians because they've taken the identity of someone else, the Christ. Not only have you been given an identity that you weren't born with or that you didn't earn the right to use, but you're invited to empty the checking account and use all the benefits this identity brings. This is so much better than identity theft. It's an identity gift. God says you are a dearly loved child worth dying for. That's who you are. So, secondly, first of all, there's the, it, it tells us who we are. Then, then why do we remember the gospel? Because it also protects you from despair. It protects you from despair. No sin we commit is ever going to be held against us if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven. They're gone. We don't have to wake up with this confounding sense of guilt So it protects us from despair. This is who we are in Christ. I want to come to now to verse 3, the the second part of this. It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So uh, in the second part, we see this message of salvation that christ that christ preached came with ample evidence see we have no excuse to drift we have no excuse for disbelief because of the evidence that came with jesus when he came. it says there he he had uh it came with signs okay signs point to something see the miracles by christ were performed so people would know that he was god he didn't just show up and said i'm god believe me no he did miracles so people would believe him and then you have the response by signs and wonders that that speaks to the response of people there was a a shock and an awe that came with the miracles that christ did and it speaks of various miracles and (laughs) gifts by the holy spirit that talks to the origin where did these gifts come from Whenever we get through the book of Acts and we see these men speaking in different languages, in different tongues, so people could hear the gospel, that's the miracles. They were supernatural in origin. They came from God himself. All of these things are so that we are without excuse. And the neglect of truth comes with a penalty. Drifting from God, drifting from the church, it comes at a price It's that spiritual entropy that we were talking about. So then, how do we keep from drifting? How do we keep from drifting? Um, Four ways here. First of all, know the message. Know the message. Do you know the message of the gospel? It's very, very simple. Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to earth, took on the sins of all humanity that you and I committed, he put them all on himself, and he bore the penalty of those sins and then you and I become righteous if we believe and I like to use the word trust if we trust in that saving work of Jesus Christ that's our response that's our responsibility is belief belief that Jesus is who he says he was and that he did what he said he did so know that message know the gospel It has a daily impact on your life. Meditate on it daily. Think every day about what it was Jesus did for you. Because in trusting that, it changes everything about you. That simple truth. So know the message. And then secondly, keep coming. Keep coming. I just want to apologize to those of you who have been hurt by the church at some point in your life whether it was by some in, intentional act or just unintended boredom right it can be tedious it's not easy you all by the way we could call you all the frozen chosen right you were the one that you braved the elements to get here it wasn't for nothing it's because you believe in the church you believe in the mission you believe in the purpose there's a couple of pieces of advice here that come to us for people tempted to to stop going for people who are just like i I don't know i'm not sure i'm getting anything out of it Uh, and it could be because you've been hurt it could be because of a trial so two pieces of advice the first comes from an anonymous source in the fourth century talking about the stuff you go through just being around people he says this if a trial with other people comes upon you in the place where you live Do not leave that place when the trial comes. Wherever you go, you will find that what you are running from is ahead of you. So stay until the trial is over. Yeah, it's easy to run out of a church. As a matter of fact, there are some 70 churches in in Sheridan. It's easy just to jump to the next one. But the same trouble is going to be waiting. It may be a different trial, but you're going to go through a trial. You're going to go through conflict. And then the next piece of advice comes from Anselm. Anselm was a a, a 12th century Anselm of Canterbury's, his full name. And he talks about a tree that if it's constantly transplanted, it, it stays in a state of immaturity and doesn't thrive. And he says it's because it's frequently transplanted or often disturbed. And he warns, he says this, if... If he often moves from place to place at his own whim or remaining in one place is frequently agitated by hatred of it, he never achieves stability with roots of love. Stick with us. Let's, Let's grow together in this love thing. It's not easy. We're all a bunch of sinners here in one place trying to love each other as best we can. Sticking it out grows to maturity. It grows people to maturity. Third, keep connected. Keep connected. Part of that is being here, but it's not just being here. It's connecting with the people that are sitting around you. It can happen between services, and we are in the process of actually hiring an associate pastor to help us create more possibilities of connection here at First Baptist because we want people doing life together. Being together, rubbing off on each other. As a matter of fact, it was a study that was done by the University, of College, uh, the University College of London that determined that loneliness hurts, but social isolation can kill you. Their findings over an eight-year period show that being socially isolated carries a much higher risk of death. This is true for the spiritual life of the Christian. The old cliche that the lion goes after that one lamb that's out on, its, out on its own is true. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, and he's going to look for those isolated lambs first, the ones by themselves, so stay connected. And then finally, stay on the ancient paths. Stay on the ancient paths. Now, what do I mean by this? This is really a summary of everything that we've talked to up to this point. See, in Jeremiah 6.16, it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, there was this, this idea that there are these paths that have been proven and they've been walked for a long time and it is the way to do life because these israelites were straying after other things in a very literal sense going after other gods and they the advice given to them by this prophet was stick to the ancient paths stay on the right road don't think that getting off of it something that looks new something that looks better and by the way there's all kinds of false teachers there's more false teachers today in christianity i'm thinking than at any other time in the history of the world dwight moody used to say you know if it's true it's not new and if it's new it's not true there's a song written by andrew peterson it's actually a song he wrote to his 13 year old son And it's called, You'll Find Your Way. And he wrote this to his son, son named Asher. It's called, the the album is called Light for the Lost Boy. But listen to the words of this song. This is is advice to his 13-year-old son. He says, when I look at you, boy, I can see the road that lies ahead. I can see the love and the sorrow, bright fields of joy, dark nights awake in a stormy bed. I want to go with you But I can't follow. Keep to the old roads, and you'll find your way. Your first kiss, your first crush, the first time you know you're not enough, the first time there's no one there to hold you, the first time you pack it all up, the first time you drive alone across America, please remember the words I told you. Keep to the old roads, and you'll find your way. I know you'll be scared when you take up that cross, I know it will hurt because I know what it costs. And I love you so much and it's hard to watch. But you're going to grow up and you're going to get lost. Just go back. Go back. Go back to the ancient paths. Lash your heart to the ancient mast, And hold on, boy, whatever you do to the hope that's taken hold of you and you'll find your way. So young people and old people and everybody in between. Stick to those ancient paths. Avoid drifting by sticking to those ancient paths. The roads that have been tried and proven to be true for thousands of years, stick to them. Stick to them. I want to close um, with this. In the catacombs of Rome, actually, if you've ever been there, you know that there's, there's these underground tombs in Rome full of Christians, are in these tunnels, they're buried uh, under the city, and you can see the symbols of faith on those tombs. Now imagine for a moment that you just watched a loved one perhaps go through horrible torture and then died. So when they buried them, they put these emblems on the tomb. One was a dove. These are actually pictures from those tombs, and it was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Another was a fish. By the way, the the reason we use this symbol, oftentimes on cars and things, is that word, ichthus, that's a Greek word, it means Jesus Christ, the I and the X, Jesus Christ, first two Greek letters of um, the name Jesus Christ. The theta Upsilon means son of God, and the last letter looks like a C, means savior, Jesus Christ, son of God savior is what that means and it it makes the word ichthus which is the greek word for fish but this third symbol was interesting i didn't know that they would often put an anchor on the picture uh, uh, rather etched in these these tombs and there was a reason for that because christians were going through difficult times they needed a picture of an anchor which was a symbol of a hope that was not going away. Well, a hope that could keep you anchored where you needed to be. And imagine watching that. Your friend, your mom, going through those horrible things. What was the last thing you saw in the burial process? You saw the picture of that anchor. An image symbolizing a hope that transcended death, transcended torture, It was a symbol of Jesus Christ, and it was a hope that would keep you from just drifting away like a ship caught in the current. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for the hope that we have in you. A substantial hope. And Lord, I pray that we would stick to the ancient past, that we would stick to church attendance, that we would... Stick to Christian community and fellowship, Lord, even when it's hard and tedious and we question, uh, is it worth it? Even just getting up on this cold Sunday morning and driving to church. God, I thank you for everybody here today. And God, I pray that as we go into this time of communion, we remember the hope that we have in you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.